Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now here's your host, Jeff Concepcion. Jeff Concepcion is solely an investment advisor representative of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Greg King and FactSet are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial. Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion and welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. I'm very pleased to have Greg King today joining us. He's a Senior VP, Senior Director of Wealth Management and Digital Solutions at FactSet. He's also a CFA charter holder. Interestingly, as Greg and I were just chatting a few moments ago, he moved to the UK in 1999 and has continued to, to reside there. Prior to leading FactSet's wealth management strategy, he spent eight years as a director of Workstation Solutions for the EMEA and APAC regions, and before that was a vice president for institutional sales at FactSet. Uh, he earned his degree in economics from Boston College. Go Eagles. My son's a graduate of BC as well. And as I mentioned, he's a CFA charter holder. So, Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's a real pleasure to be here. I have an affinity for FactSet, as you know, for many reasons. Number one, our client is a our, our company is a client and user, and I also have a daughter who works there, who's very very happy and having a great time. So, it's a it's a real pleasure to have you on today. Well, that's super. Thanks very much. So talk talk a little bit about just your background, Greg. Uh, what sort of brought you into the industry? I'd love to hear about. What led you to FactSet and maybe even a little bit on the CFA piece, where and how that fit in? Oh, sure thing. I, I've been at FactSet since my graduation from Boston College in, uh, God, it's 1996 now. Uh, and at that time, there were there were 100 total staff members in our company. And we'd just gone public some 17 days before my arrival. So the one thing you can note about me is I have incredibly poor timing. So I, I, uh, I started as a consultant, as so many of uh, the fact setters do. Uh, I was literally taking the Delta shuttle every week uh, to train and support clients like Putnam and Boston Company and Wellington of the Boston area, waiting patiently at the time for uh, uh, an opportunity to return to our uh, to my Boston uh, based roots and come college. But I was, um, in fairness, a pretty impatient 25-year-old as well, so I jumped at an invitation a couple of years after starting a fact set to move to London to help um, the company expand into Europe. So that was, uh, for me, a very exciting opportunity to, to blend together what was, uh, I think, a, uh, a super, superb expansion story for facts that sold all business in, the, in the new regions and an opportunity for me to, to whet my appetite for uh, multicultural uh, living, which uh, you can you can only get when you have an opportunity to live in London. So it was superb. Um, I thought it was staying for a year, end up turning into 25 years. So now I've, I've lived nearly half of my life in the UK, which is extraordinary. And um, on a personal front, I have an amazing wife, three teenage daughters, and I continue to work the facts out running our 
Well, we have full business now. I have a lot in office. So that's interesting. So your kids are, I assume, dual citizens? They are indeed. And uh, they continue to laugh at me for my inability to produce a British accent. Now, yeah, so do they have a British accent? That's hysterical. Yeah, right. You do have a tendency to, uh, kids certainly do, they, uh, they blend into their ecosystem pretty quickly. So uh, although they can hear my my accent every day, they um, they certainly adopt the, the accents of their, their, uh, their friends at school. Very cool. Very cool. So I'm, I'm curious, just on a personal note, so you grew up in Manchester, Connecticut, is that right? I did. That's right. So I don't know how far, I don't know how you, far you are from Manchester, UK, but it's sort of a, a piece of home maybe, right? I mean, so. Yeah, it feels like uh, a running joke in the UK that the Americans don't have much of a sense of humor. We uh, are much of a, uh, a sense of adventure. We, um, we struggle to find names for towns. So we do exactly. Yeah, what? Exactly. I'm curious because I know it's a very well-respected designation. Uh, where did the CFA come about and sort of what was the purpose or intent when you secured that? It's obviously a really well-respected accomplishment. Yeah. You know, it, it lends itself a little bit uh, naturally to our history as a company. We were primarily trying at the outset of our company to solve the biggest problems of bringing data together for the the research analyst and the most sophisticated users inside of uh, institutional fund managers and then investment banks on the other side of the table. And, you know, those guys and girls, of course, spent their lives modeling companies and, and valuing uh, investment opportunities. So, what we said as a company, it was if we can, if we can learn as much as humanly possible about how they operate, we can produce better software for the for the client themselves. So, what you find is a huge percentage of staffing inside of Factset's business either running through the tests or actually with the designation of CFA, which I think it really pays us back over the meeting with long term as we as we deliver better solutions out to our clients. Yeah, and I think it probably allows you to be inside the mind of folks who are, you know, using the tools and and the stuff that you prepare to know what they do day to day and what their world is like and how do you create you know, better solutions and tools for them. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, true. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the evolution because you have a perspective that not many would because of your tenure. So if you think about what FactSet was and what FactSet is. How have you seen the development of the, the not only the company, but the tools and maybe from an advisor's perspective or an RIA's perspective, some of the capabilities that have evolved that might not have been there in the early tool set? Yeah, that, that one um, that probably needs a, uh, a glass of your favorite tipple and, uh, and a little bit of time, but uh, I'll, I'll try to summarize that as briefly as I can um, by First, telling you a story. Uh, back at the beginning of Faxet's uh, business, Howard Willie and Chuck Snyder, who, uh, who built the company, started it by producing a four-page company uh, synopsis, which they uh, they referred to uh, in a paper copy of uh, effectively a company valuation that they then uh, hopped on a bicycle to deliver to their end clients. That was the the uh, beginning of the FactSet story, uh, and it tells you a lot about where technology was at the time, certainly. But also pretty cool. Yeah, also tells you about the opportunity in front of us as uh, as 
the technology ecosystem expanded. So, so that was our beginnings. And our beginnings were around taking data from uh, other people, bringing it together into one place, and then trying to produce a, um, a, a, a suitable to consume set of uh, information that could help uh, particularly research analysts make smarter investment decisions. Uh, but as we started to uh, be asked by our clients to do more with those capabilities, we took on more and more data sets. And um, at our peak, I think we have now 800 different suppliers of uh, third-party data inside of our platform. The reason why that's important is that right from our very beginning, right from our, uh, our origin, we had to think about the really nasty, horrible problems of cohorting data that was coming from different sources. And as we did that, uh, we built up a, an extraordinary uh, foundation of cohorting services that allow us to do all the nasty, unsexy work that our management clients don't want to have to do and don't, shouldn't have to do themselves. Uh, before we deliver the software and the services on top of the software that we deliver to them today. So I think, um, you know, if you were to, to, to wonder what uh, the value proposition of FactSet was and is today, uh, at its core is that foundational layer of content that uh, we make available. And of course, that was third-party content 40 years ago. We then added... Uh, client data, like client portfolios and ratings, recommendations, things of that nature, on top of that to make it more personal to the wealth management firm. Uh, and today, if you roll the clocks forward, we have some 5,000 staff collecting uh, unique data that we blend with all of those third-party data sets and our client data uh, to give them the, the foundational layer to, to allow them to do all of that important uh, investment decision decisional and uh, monitoring of markets for their clients. So you use the word unique, and I'd like to use that as a segue. So if you think about folks who are running RAs, running wealth, wealth management practices, CIOs, as they look at the various tools that are out there, what would be some of the unique capabilities or just maybe some of the areas where FactSet stands out in terms of the value that it can bring or the outcomes? Maybe you could, if you sort of focus in on that a little bit, I'd, I'd be interested. Sure. And I, I, I may twist that question, Jeff, if it's okay, a little bit around what our, where our clients love most about us. And, and it's not necessarily first going to be the obvious, uh, this soft piece of software performs this function. Actually, when we think about what we do well for our clients, we lean on, uh, on a couple of things. And the first thing is every decision that we make uh, about building product we first is met with a question, will it help our clients solve a problem in their, uh, in their daily lives? Um, and that sort of obsessed focus on client outcomes was with us well before I started in 96 and still remains really at the center of everything we do today. And then, of course, that, that second major value uh, of our service is that combination of the data foundation I was talking about. And then the analytics that we provide on top of uh, that data. So as you look across the marketplace, you'll say there are a few data providers uh, in the market, probably a handful. Uh, that's, a, that's a fixed cost and a heavy one, so a difficult one to, uh, to build a, a global data set uh, for. And then there are a, a slew of software providers in the marketplace. 
but only a few of us have that treasure trove of content that I described earlier, in addition to the software and the capabilities to make that data come alive in, in the forms that, that our clients are looking for. So I, I would say at the basis, the foundational layer of facts that is what makes us um, pretty unique in the marketplace. And then that client focus, that uh, obsessed focus on trying to create better client outcomes is really what drives the, the, the value proposition for RIAs or for broker dealers and even the white houses at the top of the, uh, top of the list. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So as you think about the wealth tech space broadly, FactSet and a lot of sort of the best practitioners that maybe are doing things related and things that are different than the tools that you offer, how would you sort of articulate? Because as I look at our enterprise, right, we started off relatively simple. We had an office in one city and then 10 cities and then 50 and today, you know, well north of 100. As someone grows from an advisor or a practice into a business, their economies of scale where and processes and operational capabilities where technology just allows businesses to do more or to do things more profitably. So as you look at our side of the business where we're client facing, can you talk a little bit about what you see as sort of best in class and how not advisors, but growing or burgeoning enterprises use technology to help create that efficiency and scalability? I'd love, I'd love your view on that. Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll tackle the second question first. And I'll come back to the first one uh, second, if that's okay. Terrific. I would say, you know, the industry is, has gone through a handful of different changes over the, over the years. And we're probably seen most of those happen for, for many years. We were developing best of breed products. And then we were asking the IT department inside of your firm, no matter how big your firm was, to figure out how to connect the dots so that it matched, so that those products matched the way your advisor worked in real life. And then, uh, let's call it 15 years ago, uh, led largely by the path that firms like InvestNet and uh, Orion and DustCloud paved, we saw the onslaught of these enterprise platforms. Uh, who helped to, to solve technology spaghetti problems by selling an entire suite of tools from portfolio management to planning all the way out to reporting, all within a single, single vendor platform. Um, and I think this was largely one of those examples, building a solution and then attempting to locate a problem for it because most firms uh, don't make purchase decisions that will overhaul their entire tech stack. I think it's, it's often too heavy a lift to entertain for whispers. So that's, that's also why I think you're starting to see in the marketplace today more focused areas of product delivery into themes like you know, firms that are planning first, as you described. Uh, you see a, a bunch of world platforms today when Westalize and NitroVool is a good example for us. At, at FactSet, we take an intentionally open and flexible approach to that technology lit for our clients for exactly the reason you described. As you start expanding more aggressively out into the marketplace, you need different things. Uh, so if you want FactSet to operate as your primary platform, we'll build integrations with point solutions that also matter to you, like planning software, HR. And if you decided you want your PMS or your intranet or your CRM, as your primary pane glass, we instead build our software in a modular way so that you can have it almost any way you want it delivered uh, to the destination of choice inside in your firm. 
So as an example, we do very tight integration with Salesforce for those firms who are planning first and they uh, have Salesforce as their, their primary pain of glass. And we deployed our services to some of the largest wealth management clients in the U.S. inside of Salesforce so that they can, they can connect the dots between the work they do in Salesforce for client engagement and then the, the client portfolio or the management of the investments that have been client. We think that's, that's a good way to give our clients the choice to fit the capabilities around their tech stack uh, and the business needs, particularly as your business needs tender or mall. Your second question was around the, uh, the areas of practice management, I think, that were you know, top line growth. And, um, and we're really excited, I have to say, about this area in the business in particular. Over the last two years or so, we've really spent a lot of time focusing closely on the, the advisor to client relationship. So I, I'd highlight two, two areas in app space. The first, we're developing uh, technical partnerships with the CRM providers like Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics, particularly those, for those firms, like I said, who um, are thinking about the CRM as their pri- primary aim glass. So that's a, that's an important way to to uh, to avoid that swivel chair effect that we've seen so often between one service to the next, um, where clients are trying to get a holistic view of the client. They don't need to move away from their CRM just to perform that function. So how uh, we deliver our solutions into that platform. So that, that's the first area. Then the second area we're really excited about uh, is, um, I'd say an area the industry has been poor at previously and is playing a little bit of catch up today. And these are tools around helping the advisors grow their book of business. So we've built a solution we call Intelligent Prospecting that uses the best of facts data and then layers in AI-driven prospecting and client monitoring on top of that. Uh, and the intelligent prospecting tool's goal is to help the advisors find their ideal prospects and then uh, warm up those leads with the most promising path to connection to each individual with network and relationship paths, with life events that are, that are scraped from all the public sources that are in the marketplace. And that's, that's been an incredible uh, experience for us engaging with our clients because uh, our clients are telling us that if you can help us to drive the growth of our book of business, then we can work much more closely with you. So that, um, that sort of aligns the work that we're doing more, more closely with our clients. And you mentioned early on uh, 800 suppliers of third-party data that I just heard you refer to APIs and my technology knowledge is limited, but I know that there's a lot of work to create deep integrations. So it's, I, I can only imagine to have, it, have data flow from so many sources and to do that effectively and efficiently, that that's a heavy lift. You also mentioned a couple of vendors, coincidentally, uh, Riskalyze, who's recently rebranded as Nitrogen because I think it better represents their business versus their early focus. It's sort of what they evolved to. Uh, the CEO of Nitrogen was our last podcast guest. That's a really, really, really great guy. Really insightful in terms of what they were doing and what they've evolved into. You mentioned coincidentally Orion and Salesforce. And if you look at those uh, three tools, Orion, Nitrogen, and Salesforce, and then add that to FactSet, th- those are really foundational tools, you know, your company and those other three for the platform that we offer today. So pretty interesting that you just sort of randomly mentioned those, and those are all very important partners of ours. 
Yeah. Well, I have, I have to say your, uh, your, your choice of firms is spectacular because those leaders, Aaron Klein, uh, Eric Clark, the one, uh, extraordinary leaders, really great guys. Yeah. Not my, not my choices, by the way. I have no clue. We do have very smart, we do have very smart people in tech who maybe have made good choices, but I couldn't take credit. So, uh, you, you also mentioned AI and I want to ask you a little bit about that because we've heard about AI and its potential impact or beginning impact already on our business for the last 10 years. But in the last year, it seems much more palpable and tangible and much closer to being impactful. And I know there are regulatory issues, right? Because when you think about AI in lots of other areas, it, there's maybe less complexity than there is in our industry with messaging and regulatory implications and advice. So what are your thoughts on where AI stands today? And for larger enterprises, how should they be thinking about how does FactSet think about the impact AI might start to have in, in the near term on the wealth management space? Yeah, I, I have to say, if, uh, if a conversation like this didn't at some point revolve around the new um, areas of AI, I, I'd, I'd have been shocked. We, ha- we run client advisory boards with our clients, and uh, we've now had two different sessions in the last uh, six months who have been wholly dedicated to the area around Gen AI. But before we even get to that piece, I, I would just say generally about AI that if it's used the right way, it should really be an opportunity and order of magnitude bigger than than any of the concerns that I think have, um, have, have been allowed with our marketplace in particular in that space. And I'd simply use the most ex- the obvious example I can think of to, to clarify what I mean by that. Uh, global advisory platforms were launched, let's say, gosh, I don't know, that must be 15 years ago now. And it created a little bit of hysteria in pockets of the advisor market because, of course, there was a feeling that it would take away the value that the advisor drove to their clients each day. Uh, until, of course, it dawned on the marketplace uh, that the real value advisors provided to their clients was not in generating outsourcing for the pull portfolio, but getting really guiding the clients in their financial lives. And once we got there, Advisor firms, particularly the big boys like Vanguard and Schwab and Fidelity, started to use robo-technology in-house to drive efficiency within workflows that are largely operational in nature. Things like model building, like rebalancing, trading, and simply extended their leads in the segments that they will pile with. Now, I guess if we fast forward to today, I'd also say the same thing about some of the newer services in the AI space and the potential to disrupt the marketplace. You can think of things like direct index, sadly, and maybe Gen AI as well. Both of these offer that opportunity to personalize the client experience at a scale that the human advisor just can't. So I think there's real value in each of uh, the wealth management firms who are maybe listening on this call adopting some of those capabilities to generate more efficiency and give yourself an opportunity to tap new markets, things like the affluent marketplace that you, you just didn't have the human capacity to get to it before. Um, but at their core, I, I would say that none of these automated technologies are ever going to be able to compete with the complexity of a client's financial life. And that's really why the advisor is at the most valuable for, uh, for the insurance. Yeah, you brought up a couple of great points there. So I always feel like complacency is the beginning of the end, no matter how. And I think you you absolutely in the world and the space that you live in have to feel the same way. 
because if if you're not changing and evolving, the world's going to thing in the last year that certainly gained tremendous traction, lots of benefits to more sophisticated and affluent you know clients. Uh, the AI and the adoption and just figuring out how and where to incorporate that into your business. And I'm going to use that as a segue to my last question. You've had a tremendous career at Vaxit, so congrats on everything you've done and everything you've accomplished there. But my question is, if tomorrow you are running a large national wealth management firm sitting on our side of the fence, and one of the departments obviously would include technology, knowing what you know, what would be some of the thoughts or the mandates or the opportunities where you think a firm like ours and many of the folks listening today should be thinking about from a forward perspective as to how to be best in class from a technology standpoint? I'd love your viewpoint on that. Now, she put me on the spot, Jeff, so I'll, I'll do my best to do it without promoting too many facts that capabilities around the, around the surface of the answer. Promote away, Greg. Promote away. Don't be shy. Well, I think I, I, think I would do two major things if I was the CTO of a of a large wealth management firm. You I, you just you just gave yourself a downgrade. I was making you the CEO, but if you want to be the CTO, that's fine as well. All right, I'll take it. This, um, I, I in fairness, Jeff, I, I think I'd start from the uh, the foundational layer of the business. The, um, the the unfortunate thing about the growth of so many firms in our industry is that we uh, have a tendency to to grow at the expense of the support infrastructure to make it happen. And what I mean by that is we, we grow and grow and grow our client book and we bring in huge uh, new swaths of new business without having the technology layer that's going to be able to support and, uh, and augment the, the clients that come on board. So there's a risk, of course, that the only answer you can apply is to hire more expensive staff in order to maintain those those client relationships. In long term, that's a scale problem that tech infrastructure and standardizing some of the pieces up. Now, I wouldn't suggest an overall yeah, as such, um, but getting consistent data all the way from the accounting platform to the uh, portfolio management workflows to the in advisor intranet sites and uh, worker data terminals all the way out to the end cloud uh, is critical. That reduces operational risk in a very significant way. So I would I would start there with the data layer. Once you get the data layer right, actually a lot of things uh, can be springboarded uh, off on that. And once you remove operational risk from your business, you have the ability to bring in these best of breed product offerings and that leverage that consistent content to ensure that you're going to get the right answer to the client. Ultimately, I think what's been worried about Faxet, and I would say what's great about all of our clients who do this well, it's the focus on the end client that should give you the answers that you need about where you're headed. So if your clients are telling you, that the self-service environment is not good enough. We have a tendency as an industry to ignore that um, until it's too late, as you as you rightly point out at your peril. Uh, I would concentrate on what they're telling you about how they're using uh, services in the industry and really use that client feedback as a guide toward how you build your technology stack uh, in the future. And there are some amazing services in the industry great job of connecting 
that spaghetti of technology that what we reserves have uh, with best of breed products out in the marketplace. So uh, you can find wonderful examples of connectivity between workflows that really make one plus one equal more than two as the advisors out uh, selling their services into the marketplace. Yes, yeah, super, super insightful. And I really, I, I appreciate that because it's interesting to hear that perspective if you were on our side of the fence. So I'm sure much of the work that you and your team does is sort of, you know, pretending that you are on that side. And just as you mentioned earlier, just understanding what are the client's needs and how can we help them build better, you know, more integrated solutions. And so thanks for all your work. Thanks for all your insight. And I want to allay any concerns you have. Alyssa told me she's at least five years away before she guns for the role of Senior VP, Wealth Management and Digital Solutions. So I think you're safe for a few more years to make great contributions for FactSet. <laughs> I'm not knowing it, Alyssa, as I do. I'm looking over my shoulder as we speak. Oh, my gosh. Greg, you were wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can. Advisors associated with Strasswell Partners may be either one, registered representatives with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, and investment advisor representatives of Strasswell Partners, or two, solely investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. Investment advice offered through Stratus Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial.